Hi everyone, and welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Sophia Simonello. And I'm Nick Rookrout. And today we have another episode in our They Won For That series. And this episode will focus on Alfonso Cuarón. So we're doing a director this week, and Alfonso is one of 18 men with two Best Director wins. We'll be going through his Oscar history, talking about the two films that he won for briefly, Gravity and Roma, and then we'll discuss if we think maybe he should have won for something else. So would we swap out either of these for another film? And when we asked this on Twitter, we did get some interesting responses. There were some people who were definitely passionate about his two wins for Gravity and for Roma, but a handful of people who would swap out either Gravity or Roma for one of his other films like Itumama Tambien or Children of Men. When you think of Cuaron, what do you think of? First off, I'm so happy we're covering Cuaron this week. One, he has a somewhat short filmography, so it's one that's easy to revisit for us, for anybody. And it's one that has evolved with quite a bit of variety over time, over the past 20 plus years that he's been directing. He has such an interesting past and connection to other directors. I will talk about The Three Amigos later on, which consists of him, Guillermo del Toro, and Alejandro Iñárritu, three Mexican directors with very different signature styles. And I'm excited that we're covering one of them here. And we will definitely cover another later this year when Iñárritu has his new film, Bardo, coming to Netflix. Mm -hmm. So what do I think of when I think of him? I love that his camera is always moving. Again, I love the variety. I haven't seen a couple of his earlier films. You can talk about A Little Princess in a while. But going from Itumama Tambien to Harry Potter and the Prisoners of Azkaban to Children of Men to Gravity to Roma, those are all different genres of films. And I think for all of those films to be pretty large successes, either critically or with mass audiences i think that's pretty impressive and i think in all of them they feel very visceral in harry potter he really transformed the series to become quite darker in gravity we're really one with these characters in this boundless endless space and in children of men we are right there it's almost a documentary type of filmmaking that brings you into the action right there with Clive. And I think a part of that comes from his sets. They're very detailed. There's always a mix of things happening between the background and the foreground. And that calls for not only thrilling cinema, something you are engaged with the entire time, trying to dissect, figure out symbols and meanings and themes. It's fun to look throughout and see the connections that he's made as well. So I think all of this makes revisiting his filmography fun to do, which I can't always say about an entire director's work in general. Yeah. When I think of Alfonso, I definitely think of someone who is a polymath, who has mastered multiple technical areas of cinema. So if you think of just him at the Oscars, he also has wins in film editing for Gravity and cinematography for Roma. Like he he won an Oscar for being his own DP. And I think that I always think of camera work with him, his camera being not just something that 
captures the action, but something that really tells you how a character is feeling and connects you instantly to their emotions. And in addition to just the way that he operates his camera, you know, sometimes in a documentary style, using handheld, I think of his cinematography. I think of these beautiful films, and that is primarily due to his long-term partnership with another great Mexican artist, Lubezki, the great cinematographer, also known as Chivo, aka Goat, because he might just be the goat (laughs) in cinematography. We will certainly get to that when we talk about some of these films. But yeah, I think of how all of his films are visual feasts. And like you said, very short filmography. So it's easy to revisit his films. But I also think his films are pretty challenging to revisit because they do take a lot out of you. Some of his films do keep me at a distance and others pull me in and will not let me go. And I can talk about later why some of those do that and some do not. So I think his Oscars in particular are interesting because for me, I completely understand why he won for Gravity and for Roma. But if I had to pick two movies to give him Oscars for in directing, I wouldn't choose those two. But I completely understand why the Academy did. So it'll be fun to talk through, Mm -hmm. I think. So let's talk about his nominations and wins first, and then we can go through some of the movies. His first nomination was for Itumama Tambien in 2003 for Best Original Screenplay. In 2007, a few years later, came Children of Men, and this was nominated in Adapted Screenplay and Film Editing. Next year was Gravity. He was nominated for Best Picture and then won for Best Director in Film Editing. And then finally, in 2019, with Roma, he was nominated for Best Picture and Best Original Screenplay, won for Best Director, Best Cinematography, and Foreign Language Film. So other films from his filmography, Solo con tu pareja and Great Expectations, weren't nominated at the Oscars, but A Little Princess was for Art Direction and Cinematography, And then with Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, it was nominated for Best Original Score for John Williams and Best Visual Effects. So I have not seen Solo con tu pareja, but I have seen Great Expectations, which I watched very recently. (laughs) And let me tell you, I understand why Coron and Lubezki are not the biggest fans of the movie. It's quite odd. It's a very different take on the Dickens text. Um, very modern you can if you're curious about this movie just look at the poster that is all you need to know about the the choices maybe that were made with great expectations it's not bad it's just a very unique Mm -hmm. call for them in both of their careers a little princess was a childhood favorite of mine i love that lubezki shot this because it's a children's story this is a book that i read as a kid and a movie that I also really liked as a kid. I remember getting it from the library and from Blockbuster. (laughs) And it's funny that he's made two movies that could technically be considered movies for families, movies for kids even, A Little Princess, and of course, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, but both have adult themes in them. Both have some darkness there. So Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban is my favorite Harry Potter movie. I absolutely love it. I had the best time rewatching it for this episode. I just, I think it holds up so well. It's 
really the pivot in the series where it becomes more adults. And I loved the Harry Potter series growing up. I was the biggest reader. So of course that meant I loved Harry Potter. And I remember going to see this movie and thinking, oh wow, they're not wearing their wizarding robes anymore. They're wearing regular clothes. Like they're, it's a, it had this intense tonal shift to it. It felt much scarier, much more serious. And Quaron is actually on the delightful Harry Potter special on HBO Max where the cast reunites for all the movies. And he's on there and he talks about the decisions that he made with tone. And he talks about how this was a serious pivot because Harry turns 13 and he's not a kid anymore like he is in those Chris Columbus movies. Chris Columbus, famously a great director of children and child performances. So I think Quaron, he really changed the way forward for the rest of the series. And it's interesting because it got me thinking a lot about, you know, what happens today when auteurs make Marvel movies. And it made me really sad because, you know, Prisoner of Azkaban is such a Harry Potter movie. It's a Harry Potter movie through and through, but you can see Quaron in every frame. It's gorgeous. It's dark. It has this intense humanistic quality to it. And it's all about emotion. And when people like Chloe Zhao make Eternals or Sam Raimi make the new Doctor Strange, we're still going to get weird cameos that make the audience cheer that that director would never put in. So it just, it made me kind of sad because it was like, Disney really is an evil corporation, not letting their directors have creative control. Well, and not to say that he didn't have constraints making Harry Potter. I'm sure that he did. I'm sure it was a very different shoot for him compared to his other movies, but it was just strange because, yeah, I felt him throughout it as opposed mm-hmm. to the Marvel movies we see. Yeah, I'm sure Marvel, Disney, they have much more power over the final film that gets made because I don't believe that Eternals was a Chloe Zhao film in the end. <laughs> It is most unlike anything she has made before. Regardless, I read a little bit about Quaron fighting back for Gravity even, which at the box office made $720 million. So this is no small movie, especially for 2013. This rivals Marvel. So we can think about them in the same way here a little bit. He fought back really hard with the final shot specifically and how Sandra was to be rescued. Because she ends up rescuing herself, saving herself from the pod that is at the bottom of the ocean now. But the studio really wanted helicopters. They wanted them to come in. He said no. The studio again said, well, why don't we just hear the helicopters? He said no. (laughs) (laughs) So I love that he was able to achieve his own vision. And that's, I think, something else we feel in these movies is... He has a point of view. He is sharing a purpose. There's a reason to why he is making these movies, telling these stories specifically. And speaking of great final shots, always, Mm -hmm. like great endings to his movies of what he chooses to show and what you can hear. The sound is always so important. Even in a movie like Roma, where you wouldn't think sound necessarily would be like a key element that you need. Like, obviously you would need that in gravity. It's a movie about space, but in Roma, the sound design is beautiful in Harry Potter. It's the same thing. So I love that about him. Also, I want to note 
I, I noticed this when I was thinking about his filmography and, and his Oscar nominations, but he has to be one of the only directors who has only directed actress nominations. Not a single actor from his movie, so no men have been nominated. I think Clive Owen should have been, mm-hmm. but Sandra Bullock was nominated for Gravity, Yalitza Aparicio for Roma, and Marina de Tavira for Roma. No men. That's so, so interesting. I think he's interested in making stories about women because that's also how he describes gravity. Yeah, that leads in really well because he is kind of this feminist director that he focuses on these female stories, be it Children of Men, be it Roma, Itumama Tambien. Like it just keeps going. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he portrays Gwyneth or what that character is from Dickens, <laughs> but. <laughs> and then again, a little princess is. Mm-hmm. the titular role so <laughs> indeed yeah i love itumama tambien and we can talk about that now briefly because this wouldn't be my pick where if i had to put one movie in to sub out another i wouldn't pick itumama tambien but i do understand why people do i think it's a beautiful story it's funny it's dark there are a lot of political themes that pop up under the surface but the main reason why I like this movie is because of the character Louisa. Um, Maribel Verdu, her performance is incredible. I feel like she is, like, whenever she is in a scene, whenever she's on screen, I am locked in. I feel like it's a very complex character where you could typically, on paper, have her just be this, like, hot older woman but she's so much more than that she's more than i think what you get in those standard comedies like this um her character has a lot more to her and she has like those comedic elements to her and she's happy but she's also really there's also a lot of sadness there and i really appreciate when men can write women like that i feel like that's a skill and also to get performances like that from their actresses Itumama Tambien for me, I agree with that. I loved her character and how she was set apart from these two immature men who were growing. They're on this road trip. There's Julio y Tenoch. And, you know, it's a very sexual movie. Like a very horny summer movie. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's true. (laughs) Yeah, this is quite a coming of age tale for viewers, for these characters. And it's one you just really don't expect from this up-and-coming director. Mm -hmm. To go from this Dickens remake to this story, and again, he filmed this in his home country, it's just such a serve. And he keeps doing this over and over again. But it is such an intimate movie, and you can really see him honing in on his craft here. The background foreground is really important and I think this mirrors in Roma especially but you start to see the political elements come in they're driving down the road and you see these you see the police stopping people along the way you hear through voiceover and through these characters about the state of the country and the government one of Tenoch's relatives is a corrupt government official so very early on this becomes a complex story of not only the characters but the environment that they live in and why they're trying to escape to this place that they make up that ends up becoming real 
And I loved this contrast with Louisa, who is so much more mature and in the end uses this as escapism. She becomes a mom in a way and matures and learns more about her life than maybe these two boys do until later on when you see them meet years later. And again, a great ending, but there's a flip and you're kind of heartbroken for this situation, but it's very real. It's a pretty interesting entry for a filmmaker that early in their career. And like you said, I definitely see the connections to Roma, but so many of his films are so, so different. So let's get into his two wins quickly. First, before we go through these, would you swap one of these out for another movie or would you keep his two best director wins with Gravity and Roma? I don't think I'm going to swap anything out. If we can add one, I will 1000% do that. But I'm going to keep these. What would you do? I'll leave it there for now. I thought that you might do that, but I wasn't sure. I would swap out Gravity for Children of Men. I think that Children of Men is his best movie. If he has a masterpiece, it's Children of Men to me. And I have a very tough relationship with Gravity that I think we can just start talking about now. (laughs) So Gravity at the Oscars, it tied American Hustle for the most nominations with 10. It won seven. It won director, original score, sound editing, sound mixing, cinematography, editing, and visual effects. It was nominated for three others, Best Picture, Best Actress for Sandra Bullock, and Best Production Design. So when I first saw this movie, I was, I think, definitely dazzled by the visuals. It feels like you were at a planetarium at the Air and Space Museum, or you were at a NASA-run science exhibit. It feels like you are actually in space or in that type of environment, which is stunning. I mean, it's a beautiful visual experience. But for me, there's no story there, and I just get bored, which is the worst thing you can say, I think, about a movie like this. It just feels like it is such a significant technical achievement, and I will be ready to give it that easily. And I understand why it won director. I'm not mad about it. Like it obviously was going to win that year. Would I have given it to Steve McQueen for 12 years a slave or even Martin Scorsese for the Wolf of Wall Street over him? Yes, I would have. Um, But that's just what I prefer in filmmaking, in storytelling. And for me here, the story is almost laughable. And that's also informed by the fact that when I saw this movie, my audience was laughing throughout the movie and it is not supposed to be a funny movie at all. So I thought maybe when I returned to it this time, I would think, okay, maybe I was hard on this movie because I had a really bad experience seeing it where my crowd was just horrible. I thought it was overhyped. I thought like, why is it getting all these nominations? I didn't really feel anything from it. I liked other movies better. And I even remember at the time, because this was like right after, this was right after we became friends. I think this was like, this might have been our first Oscar ceremony, maybe second, that we watched together. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and I remember you were obsessed with this movie, and I was just like, I can't, I can't do it. It's just not for me. And I revisited it this time, and while I appreciate it, it is still just not for me. (laughs) 
and that's okay. Space movies are also hard for me. Do you still love it as much as you did when we were in college? <laughs> I usually like space movies. I know you like High Life. I have still not seen Passengers. No, that's so bad. I know Do there, please are, skip there that. are a few really bad ones. I just stay away from the badly reviewed films. <laughs> I still do love this movie as much as when I initially saw it and was just astounded by everything that I just experienced. No, but it's been multiple rewatches at this point, And I think that's only fair from, yes, a very technical film. You know, it is Lubezki. This may have been the film that like brought him to my attention. Mm-hmm. I see that the plot is thinner than other films it's a two-person story that really becomes a one-person story and there's only so much you can do with one or two people and there are no extras there are no other people so I think I understood and took that in and really thrust myself into the camera work happening because my eyes just don't stop and I think that's enough where You know, there's so much going on that you're trying to see in every corner. These visuals of the Earth, of the spaceships, of all these pieces shattering from the satellites. It's almost like a sensory overload. And it is for Sandra's character, too. And the way the camera moves in and out of spacesuits is constantly moving. Again, signature Quaron and Chivo. It's one that continues to take my breath away. And then you compound that with this soundtrack that I still love, love, love. I do love the score. It is really, really beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, Shenzu for me, I could just play that on repeat. It's that final song as she's coming to Earth. And you see all of the pieces burning up in parallel lines on the screen. It's just, ugh, I love. But all of these components just come together magically and it's like a feast for the eyes and then from that song you get her final fight and the camera angles of her standing up it's very emotional I did tear up I always tear up at this like final moment and then you get the crescendo to black for the title card it's just a perfect ending for me I think the ending is beautiful, and I'm I'm happy that you have this movie that you still like a lot. Um, I think I'll just never get it, and that's okay. To me, like beautiful technical work will just never be a substitute for storytelling mistakes for me, and that's okay. Do you? I have to ask you though, because this part made me laugh again when I watched it this time. Okay, you can't you can't do the howling. If it's the howling, we're moving on. It's when she sees George Clooney in her hallucination who tells her how to escape and is like, your life is worth living. Come on. (laughs) Like, give me a break. That was just a little too, that's just always cheesy for me and just makes me laugh. The howling though, also, I'm not, I won't go there. We don't need to do that today. When he opens the hatch and she's like, no, no, no. And I'm like, there's no way this is believable. Because she would instantly die. Yeah. But I think that as this emotional aside Mm -hmm. and her having these delusions because she's losing oxygen and she just can't take it anymore. It's like I, again, will accept that and appreciate the the heart that he's putting into the script. Yeah. 
That's fair. <laughs> and I also, I'm not a person too where like, I'm not a scientist. I am not an astronaut. I'm not looking into this film for like technical mistakes or things that might not be mm. realistic. I really don't care about that. So it's nothing like that. It's just, it's just a movie that just, I do not connect with in the way that you are supposed to. But I absolutely mm. understand why it won all of its Oscars. There are just other movies that year that I liked more. And I remember like, at the time, we didn't really do, we we did do predictions. We weren't as obviously like into it as we are now with like, we didn't have our pod, obviously. But I do remember just knowing at the time that it was going to win everything. God, I mean, looking back, there is absolutely no way. We just like threw names on a page. Yeah, we basically. did. I think we like printed out our Vanity Fair <laughs> ballots. We're just like yeah. checking them off. <laughs> so, I mean, it's very close for me switching this out for Children of Men 2. Mm-hmm. But I think if I had to, I'm keeping them because I think in the end he deserves this. If we could rearrange a few things, then I will allow it. So my way, I would do it. I would give McQueen the directing Oscar this year for 12 Years a Slave. Give Quaron the win for Children of Men. Take Scorsese's away for The Departed, but give it to him for Goodfellas. And then take away Costner's for Dances with Wolves. You and I are fully aligned because (laughs) this is exactly, no, no, exactly what I would have done. We're going to do a Scorsese episode this year in this series before Killers of the Flower Moon because as much as I love The Departed as a popcorn movie and I think it's an achievement in a lot of ways, it's not what I would give Scorsese his Oscar for and Children Mm -hmm. of Men to me is a superior directorial achievement. So I'm totally fine taking away Scorsese's Oscar there, giving it to Quaron, And again, I think I could totally see the case for Scorsese to win the Gravity Year too, but McQueen would be my choice if I mm-hmm. had to pick from the list there. Yeah, because Scorsese losing to both Redford and Costner, who were both first-time directors. Again, we can get into this much more in depth later on that episode. But that was just such a curse for him, and it took him so long to win that I think splitting things up in some of these years and then 12 Years a Slave being the winner, that is totally okay for me. And then with Children of Men, that still keeps Cuaron as the first Mexican director to win the Best Directing Oscar over Del Toro and Inyaritu, which come right after. And seeing that those three, so this is the three amigos, won five out of six years in a row... It was like very cool. I hadn't noticed that at the time. So I love that for them, but I would keep Quaron as the first of them to win. I love that. And I completely agree. But I have to say quickly, Redford deserved the Oscar for director that year. (laughs) People are going to yell at me for that because they're like, they're obsessed with Raging Bull and are, I get it. It's a, it's a great movie, but I will always stump for ordinary people Mm -hmm. and for Robert Redford's director win there. (laughs) No, I'm not saying he shouldn't have won. I just think, like, poor Scorsese just sitting over here watching time and time yeah. again. He wasn't appreciated in his time and by the Academy. Yeah. Let's move on to Roma. This is a very different film for Quaron. Um, it's a semi-autobiographical slice-of-life film that's based on his childhood in Mexico. 
I remember when I first saw this film in New York Film Festival, speaking of the three amigos, Guillermo del Toro introduced it. He talked about mm. like how beautiful it was and how he saw early cuts of the film and how proud of Quaron he was as his friend, which was such a beautiful way to start that movie. And I remember after I saw it, I thought, you might like it because you really like Quaron, but I was also nervous because this film is much longer than a lot of his films. It's a lot slower. Um more meditative, I would say, but still visually stunning. What did you think of Roma when you saw it? 2018 was also a really cursed Oscar year, and I remember it was very tense for both of us for many reasons. So what did you think of Roma? Remind me. Yeah, so 2018, I looked back and I was like, would I really give Roma best director (laughs) or best picture? And I saw this was the year of hereditary burning the favorite a star is born black Klansman, but my movie that year was the rider which obviously wasn't a nominee it won Mm -hmm. the spirits but that was my favorite movie of the year i was in la for a work trip i went to the arc light and i had no idea what movie i was going to see and barry jenkins bought a ticket to burning so i bought a ticket to burning because i was like he has good taste like i'm gonna trust him obviously And it was my favorite movie of the year. It was the best thing I saw that year. It should have won picture and director and everything else. (laughs) Steven Yeun, everything. But yeah, that's my burning story. That's, I don't think I've ever told it on the pod, but. I don't think I knew that. Really? Oh my God. Yeah. So two non-nominated films that we think should have won over Roma, Mm -hmm. regardless. Also Cold War this year, but. Oh my God, Cold War. Oh, sorry. I keep cutting you off thinking mm-hmm. of these movies. Yeah. 2018. <laughs> a the good year. and the bad. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think looking back now that it's been four years since Roma came out, it is an incredible feat. I think, again, we get visuals in a different way than Gravity and a story that is so near and dear to Quaron. I think seeing that come out on screen and... All of the discussion around this with critics and seeing Quaron in the spotlight was so moving. But do I look back and think Roma was my favorite movie of the year? No. But I think revisiting this movie, I totally understand it. It is kind of different for him, not because he was cinematographer on his own film, because he did plan to have Chivo there. And then the Roma shoot kind of elongated and... Chivo couldn't do it anymore. So he took over himself. They had storyboarded and planned this movie out enough to the point that he could do it himself. And he had before. Again, he's quite a collaborative director. And that's something else that I love about him. But his camera here is very static. There's more panning. There isn't this movement that we get in these previous movies. And that was not only different, but it was symbolizing something else in this story of him remembering he's a character on screen as this little boy being taken care of by Cleo, Yalitza's character. So I think overall, for a director win, I'm not going to take this away because I think it, as a part of his own filmography, tells so much. And I think as much as I like Spike and Yorgos, I wouldn't have given it to anybody else that year. That's similar to Um, what I was thinking with director it's one it's this personal semi-autobiographical story that's a technical achievement i'm not going to like deny that or 
take that away from him. This is such an interesting film, thinking about Netflix at the Oscars, because it does sort of fit into that box that a lot of their films do, which is they're a little bit tougher to process or watch at home. Like their platform, typically, I mean, that's how most people in the country watch Netflix. It's at home. It's not, you know, at film festivals or in theaters like we got to see. And this is a film that is challenging in that way. I think for me, most of my favorite directors, most of my favorite directorial achievements, there are two that I would have picked over Quaron, weren't nominated. Lee Chang Dong for Burning and Barry Jenkins actually for If Beale Street Could Talk. I really liked that. It reminded me of like, I mean, it was like Douglas Sirk meets James Baldwin. It was amazing. But I think of the nominees, like I definitely liked Roma and appreciated it as, again, this really beautiful story. The day that I saw Roma was when everything in the country went downhill. That'll be a theme for his movies, I think. When the Kavanaugh hearings with Christine Blasey Ford were going on. And I just remember after that movie, just like feeling very heavy, but also very like he gets this like trauma that women go through and deal with. And it felt sort of cathartic in that moment. And typically I think I would have thought the movie was a bit more distant But I think the circumstances around when I saw it definitely made me connect with it a little bit more. And I mean, obviously, I wanted Roma to beat Green Book at the Oscars, who didn't. (laughs) Who was not nominated for Best Director. Hmm. Thankfully. I wonder why. Right? But yeah, I think I'm definitely happy keeping Roma here, um, keeping one of his wins here. Because again, this is a very personal film to him. And it's a great achievement in filmmaking. The sound is just my standout thing here, which is crazy because it's not a movie you would think of that for, like I said, but it's glorious. One other thing I loved with Roma and the discourse, even though Chivo wasn't the cinematographer here, he interviewed Quaron after Roma came out for press, and he was asking him about how he made this movie, why he did certain things. So I loved that flip there. Mm-hmm. And... Chivo goes to say the camera becomes almost like a consciousness revisiting the story. The camera knows something the actors do not. So he's examining this movie, knowing parts about it, but then in the end, wanting to know why he made the choices he made being this film written by himself, made by himself. And then another thing with Del Toro again, he had this Twitter thread in response Mm -hmm. to Roma at the time, which I think is adorable. And he is expressing so much love for this movie, talking about certain shots and why things work so well. He talks about the first and end shot, again, remarkable, comparing it to water and this metaphor, I think, that Quaron revisits time and time again of water having different meanings. And the elements of the earth, again, with gravity, and we can talk about that in Children of Men in a second here. Mm-hmm. But but I loved that he had such a positive response to this movie from his friends and mm-hmm. from the public and critics as well. There was no mm-hmm. way he wasn't going to win through that award season. So yeah. another reason why I'm happy for it. And I remember Guillermo del Toro, when he was introducing this film... He said that the movie initially had a different final shot. And then 
Cuaron like went back and he changed some things and and Del Toro was like wait the final shot was great what did you do and then he showed him the ending and he was like oh that's the final shot that's it you improved it somehow which I thought was cool Mm -hmm. so at the Oscars Roma was tied for the most nominations with the favorite at 10 and ended up winning director cinematography and international feature again all for Cuaron and other nominations included picture actress for Aparicio Supporting actress for De Tavira, original screenplay, sound editing, sound mixing, and production design. Those double sound noms, again, just echoing what you're saying, which, yeah, yeah, I agree. Okay, so looking at these two movies, if you could give each of them one Oscar, would it be Cuaron for director? If it has to be the same answer, no, because I would give Gravity cinematography, but Roma, I would definitely give director, yes. What about you? Exactly the same. <laughs> Gravity to me, like, yes, I, I understand Quaron's scope and like his directorial achievement, right? But I mean, mm-hmm. it's Lubeski for me. It's just the way that it looks. It's yeah. beautiful. So you said you would swap Gravity with Children of Men earlier. And I mm-hmm. said I wouldn't change anything because I would keep these as they are. But if I could add a nomination and a win... I would give it to Children of Men. So tell me your thoughts on this movie, why you think he should have won for this. It is a five-star film, and I <laughs> rarely say that. So tell us why you love this movie so much. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's a, it is a five-star film. It's indisputable to me. So I love this movie for many reasons. But first, I think, I understand why it can feel like this post-apocalyptic sci-fi piece but I think that's wrong what this movie does that is so brilliant and so devastating and so scary is that it feels like the type of apocalyptic movie that's happening now when you are watching it there is no way and yes this movie takes place in 2027 which is so terrifying but there is no way when you're watching it that you don't feel like this is happening all around you, that you are a part of this environment, that you're a part of this world. And for people who don't know, the general premise of Children of Men is that we are in 2027, we're in London, there hasn't been a child born on Earth in 18 years. Everything is ruined. The only sort of civilized part of the world, and you can't even really call it civilized, is in Great Britain. And you get into these really deep, scary themes where illegal immigrants are being collected and tortured. And you see, you know, like Clive Owen's character at the beginning, he plays his character Theo, who used to be this activist, but now he's just this cynical guy who's working in an office. And you just start to think about, oh my God, like you, you feel like you're a part of that world and you also have no choice but to see that in your real world, in your everyday life, this is happening to some extent. It's inescapable in both the film and in your everyday life and it makes it feel even more visceral than the documentary style filmmaking intends to. And Quaron actually, you know, when he was interviewed about this movie back in 2006, He said that people who didn't think this was happening right now were in denial. 
And that was in 2006. And now here we are. I think this movie is definitely prescient, but it was also happening then. There were traces of it, of this type of discrimination. But then it comes to light even more with Trump and with Brexit. And now, I mean, total fascism. Yeah. I mean, it's it's prescient. It's timely. It's all of those words. But it's also just a perfect movie. Why did you give it five stars? Oof. So many reasons. Again, with the camera, we're with Theo in this coffee shop. It's a long take. This movie is constructed of so many long takes of these one shots that you just, you want to cry. The way they get these to work too, like, God, I went down a rabbit hole Mm -hmm. looking at, we can talk about the shot as they're trying to escape in a second, but this like four plus minute shot and they constructed this rig on top of this car and took out the roof. And so this camera could move freely in the car and... The actors are going back and forward in their chairs to move around the camera. And then it comes out through the broken window outside. And then you see the car and it's a normal car. And you're just like, how in the world did they do this? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, So again, we start the movie with one of these shots as well. And the explosion literally brings you to this new reality that isn't quite different from our own. Yeah, and that's part of why I like this, the environment. Quaron wanted to bring a third world country to London, to one of these Western societies that are supposed to be of the highest class. And he wanted it to feel like Mexico City, which he knows so well from Mm -hmm. some of his other movies too. I think Theo's story, how we get there, we get beautiful shots of Julianne Moore, Oh, I yeah. love the one where we meet her in the light. The light. Oh, yeah, it's so beautiful <laughs> on her red hair, too. <laughs> and then we meet Key and the intensity of why we need to save her. And we are kind of Theo in that moment, too, because he's like, I'm here. I just want to survive. He's avoiding the quietest, this mass produced government approved suicide pill. Ugh. <laughs> <I'm> like chills <laughs> talking about I know. About this. And we get some incredible quotes. There's like no time to even go through all of them. I know. You don't have a monopoly on suffering. They're talking about Key and her baby. She has the right. This is your choice. Again, a feminist film talking Mm -hmm. about women's rights and their power over their own bodies. And as it continues, she's going through this hellish pregnancy. But we're also, I felt like we were entering seven layers of hell. Mm-hmm. We're going into this refugee camp. It's gruesome. It's brutal. I also found some parallels. I'm doing a total rewatch of The Leftovers. <gasps> oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. Maybe I'll do that. <laughs> I had never seen the third season, so I just finished season one. Mm-hmm. And there are so many parallels. It's also this like apocalyptic feel. The priest's wife had a stroke, and she's mute which is kind of like Michael Caine's character's wife in this film. Mm -hmm. Love him in this too. Oh, he's great. Again, he does no wrong. Also the Miss Trunchbull character. (laughs) Pam Ferris, also in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban (laughs) as Aunt Marge. (laughs) She is kind of like the endowed character in The Leftovers. We have deer running through hallways there's an it's a girl balloon and that's again what the baby becomes in children of men again there's so much we could 
even talk about from there. But Children of Men felt like such a focused and precise film Mm -hmm. that was probably just ahead of its time in a way like Goodfellas and why that didn't win because that was so violent and so is this and sci-fi and that's not going to do well at the Oscars. Mm -hmm. So I understand it, but I'm not here for it. I think this should have won too. I agree. It would have been my best picture winner that year. So a couple of things. Oh my God, I feel like I have so much to say. I'll try to get through (laughs) as much of it as I can, but it's just all sort of swirling around in my brain. I think that's what happens when you watch this movie. A brilliant thing. I think the cinematography by Lubezki here, it is one of my favorite things he has ever done. It is a beautiful, beautiful film. And what he and Quaron do with the camera together, it makes you feel like you are a part of this world. Every shot has a purpose. Every shot tells a story. I love that Lubezki and Quaron actually collaborated on the feeling of being overloaded by information. So if you look around when you're watching this movie, there'll be headlines scrolling across. You'll see newspapers that have headlines, different things going on all over the world. And that's because they didn't want their characters detailing a lot of the exposition. They wanted it to be in the images, which I think is very cool. And again, you mentioned this being a feminist story. I love the contrast that we get between Julianne Moore's character, Julian, how she is, you know, she's she's strong and she's, you know, she's gorgeous. She's Julianne Moore. She's lit in this, like, this beautiful glowing gold light, but then she's gone just as soon as she arrives. And then you have Key, who is the woman who's going to save them all. And I think that it's important that her baby is a girl because in a similar way to three women, a lot of the violence is perpetrated and created by men. And it's all about the destruction of men. But in order for this new time, a new generation, a new era to come along, it has to be led by women. And that's what also makes the title children of men very interesting because I always interpret that as how the violence started. Hmm. But also, it's just interesting to think of it that way, of what the Mm -hmm. title means, right? Children of men did this, and the children of women will save the future. But I think the scariest part of the whole movie is similar, like you said about the coffee, it's like, when it rains, it pours. It's like all of a sudden, everything is bad and there's no escaping it and that's the my like greatest fear of all just right now the way things are everything is so awful but we feel like we're on the precipice of something so much worse Mm -hmm. and that's really scary and that's where this movie takes place it's right when it all snaps and it goes south so it's terrifying it's not technically a horror movie but it could be i think it is yeah i had moments during this movie that had these light bulb moments that I'm not sure I'd felt earlier. But Mm -hmm. when we learned that the bomb was put off by the government and not this terrorist group, quote unquote, what everybody is calling Julian and this group that she's in. And then later on, when Theo overhears Luke talking about who killed Julian and how it was this assassination attempt, saying that their own people killed her, to make it look like something else it my mind just kind of was blown in that moment and that 
does feel like where we are, where it's like you have these far right, these extremist groups, and you don't know what to believe. People don't. And there's so much going on. There's terror everywhere. And I love how Quaron takes that. And even in the end, this very sad moment transforms this into, again, we're on the water, this place of hope, of future, of potential mm-hmm. for saving the human race for this baby, these two women. So it's a it's a beautiful thing. And I think that's really hard to accomplish in a film as well. Yeah, the entire film is so dark, but then the way that it ends and even just tonally under the surface, there is always just a small glimmer of hope. And then for it to arrive there, I mean, masterful direction. That's Mm. incredibly hard to achieve, especially in a film that feels like a documentary that can rope you into the visceral moments. But ultimately, the emotional payoff of this movie is just, it is so strong. And (laughs) why I would recommend it to anyone and why I was crying at certain parts, just like very overwhelmed by the entire experience. So Children of Men, highly recommend. In addition to, honestly, most of his filmography, I think he's a fascinating individual. And this one, Children of Men, just happens to be my favorite, the one that I love the Mm -hmm. most. Yeah, I would say that about this too. I think this is my favorite. With all of the sociopolitical elements, I think it transforms over time. And I think you can have so many wonderful conversations like we have. And since we can't do that over gravity, we can do that here. We're ending on a positive note. (laughs) This one, though, fully locked in. So if you could give this movie one Oscar, would it be for Quaron for directing? It would. He created something very new here, and it feels so different from anything else at the time, from any other sci-fi film you have, crime thriller, anything like that. It feels completely original, ahead of its time. And like I said earlier, it's a masterpiece. I think it's the best thing in his career. And... Lubezki is obviously a close second. The cinematography's I can't even talk about it adequately. I think I just need to post my favorite stills in our Twitter. But yes, I would give Quaron best director. What about you? I was thinking as we were talking, if we should do a Lubezki, they won for that episode because we're basically talking about his best work here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I would still have to say that he should have won for The Tree of Life, which came before. So yeah, <laughs> kind of well, negates it. But regardless. He didn't win for The Tree of Life? I forget that every no. time. It's like George Miller for <laughs> Mad Max Fury Road. I always forget this. It's like in, in my perfect world, he uh, has the Oscar. So I always forget it. Just like George Miller. Yeah, it's horrible. That year it went to Hugo, which... No, Scorsese's name comes up again. (laughs) Robbie Richardson. In terms of this, this is so hard. This is basically they both deserve it equally. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think I would say Quaron. Yeah. Great. (laughs) Two great masters. And we just ended up talking about four of his films. Harry Potter also deserving. We kind of talked about that one, not super in depth, but. I did love, love, love revisiting that. It was Mm -hmm. not only a movie that could be on in the background, but one that you want to keep watching too. Still my favorite Harry Potter. Yours is Deathly Hallows Part 1, yeah? 
So that deserved a cinematography win. Again, none of the Harry Potters won any Oscars, which is horrible. But this was the first, Prisoner of Azkaban, the first nomination for visual effects, which I think Quaron again, excels in. Mm-hmm. I think it should have won here or for cinematography for seven. Yes. Well, that was our episode on Alfonso Cuaron and his two Best Director wins. And if we thought those were right or not, I think you really can't go wrong with his filmography. There's something to enjoy. Yes, I'm even saying this about Gravity in any of his films, even Great Expectations. (laughs) So next time on Oscar Wilde, we will be doing another Rewind anniversary episode. We'll be talking about The Hours, which came out 20 years ago, and discussing its win for Nicole Kidman. We'll be talking about Meryl Streep later this year, so we just wanted to talk about the film. Also, Julianne Moore, again repeating, was nominated, along with many, many others. But I haven't seen this, and I am very excited to watch this. Oh my god, you haven't seen it? It's been one of my blind spots, yeah. Oh my god. Okay, this is a treasure. It's a a sacred (laughs) text of the hours. Um, I also love the book, so I'll be talking about that a little bit. You obviously do not need to read the book in the week that we prepare for the pod. (laughs) I will bring the takes on that. But I, yeah, this movie is fascinating. And I love the way that the the women, their stories are all woven together. Um, Julianne Moore, Meryl Streep, of course, and Nicole Kidman, like you said, for her win for playing Virginia Woolf. So I'm very excited to get into that one. And if you like our show, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Oscar Wilde Pod. We have some very exciting things coming for the rest of the summer. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye.